Hello, everyone. It's your friendly neighborhood editor, Kim. But I'm actually here to admit I haven't been doing a lot of editing for Grim Scenarios the past couple of months. I've had to step back due to some real life stuff. Um, so I'm really just back here for a little bit to say welcome to this new Grim Scenarios community as we go independent from ECG. And also to give a big thanks to the editor who's taking over uh, pretty much all the editing side of Grim Scenarios stuff, Ree. Given everything she's doing for the podcast, I would love to give her a big shout out. She's been indispensable to the Grim Scenarios team, and it's been so good to be able to just step back and let her do some amazing work. Yeah, I'll, I'll still be around. I'll still help with audio editing um, when I have the energy to do so. Uh, Rhea is doing all the video editing because she's much better at that than I am. But until I see you again, may your scenarios stay grim. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Grim Scenarios, which I genuinely don't know the number of. <laughs> I believe it's episode 30, and in some senses, episode 1. So, right. yeah, this here is we our, are. This is our first episode that is being released only on... I Actually, just... that's not true, but let, we can start over then. <laughs> no, it is. It's the first episode that's been exclusively released on Grim Scenarios. Nope. Nope, oh, it's that's the not right. It's the second. That's right. <laughs> oh, well, we're just going to keep it. We're, we don't know anything. That's the part of the charm. Part of the, so part of the humor gonna is that we keep all this nonsense. That's right. Anyway, uh, after our last <laughs> week's episode, our first episode released on Grim Scenarios exclusively, which was about the village idiot, uh, we decided we would get back to what we had left off with the week before because we got some good feedback on our first storytelling focused episode where we sped through both SNV and TB and said, hey, let's take it a little slower. Let's be a little calmer. Let's dock through even more issues about probably the most storyteller involved script of the base three, which is of course Bad Moon Rising. Bad Moon Rising has a lot of storyteller decisions. It has the sailor involves storyteller decisions every night, the innkeeper involves storyteller decisions every night, the gossip involves storyteller decisions some nights, the pacifist involves storyteller decisions every time it's in play, the tinker involves storyteller decisions every time it's in play, the shabloth involves storyteller decisions. There's a lot in the there, Emma. Yeah, the goon involves a little bit less storyteller decisions. The lunatic involves some storyteller decisions. Lots of stuff going on here. Lots of stuff. And I think we're going to start out by talking about the setup like we did with S&B and TB. But genuinely, I think we're going to have to get a little deeper in with BMR when we look at some of these characters to see what kind of decision points storytellers might run into with characters like, for example, the pacifist. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Why don't we go out to the Grim and we'll select some characters? So, what do you think, Emma? What uh, what kind of characters? What kind of characters do you think we need to talk through? And we'll probably put those on first. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think we should talk about how you build BMR bag, um, rather than focusing in first things first on the characters we need to talk through. Uh, because of course, the first step of any storyteller is creating a balanced bag and trying to do something that's has a good chance of leading to a game that's going to be interesting and fun for all your players where both sides feel like they have a chance to win. That's right. That's the core of Blood on the Clock Tower. So, as we talked last time, 
I sort of just hit shuffle a few times to pick a demon normally, and I landed on the Shabaloth, which is good because that's what I wanted to talk about. Midway through, we may redo this bag and go to a Puka because that's something else we probably want to talk about, but yep. Shab has an important storyteller thinking that needs to go into it, so Shab, I think, is a solid choice. I agree, Emma, and I think that uh, also lends us to probably not interacting with some of the characters uh, for at least this go-around. But Shabaloth tends to like having other characters that are protective on the uh, grip. Uh, because it gets extra kills, it's useful to have protection rolls for the good team. It makes the protection rolls quite good. And talking about what we want to do with our Shabaloth, what minions do you like pairing with the Shabaloth? And I'll tell you, I like all four with the Shabaloth. Yeah, I agree. I think all four minions on BMR are quite good with the Shabaloth. There's reasons for each one to be helpful. And uh, you have a lot of space with Godfather as well, uh, specifically, uh, because uh, having uh, outsider bluffs is very useful. The plus or the minus, having extra outsiders to get extra kills. The minus with Godfather is quite good in a Shabaloth where you can use it to get an extra bluff. So there's a lot of space. All right, let's toss in a little Godfather action then. I think it sounds good. And should we go minus one? I think minus one might be all right here. Uh, I sort of want to talk about three of the outsiders, so I was going to argue plus one. Sounds good to me. Let's put three outsiders in. And those are Lunatic Goon and Tinker. That's right. And with these three outsiders, we do need one more minion, either a DA, an assassin, or a mastermind. We know we're going to probably put some protection rolls in for the good team here, so we could use a DA, but I think Mastermind is probably all right as well. Okay, we can toss in a Mastermind. Uh, if we're going to go with a Mastermind, I might want to switch that Godfather to an Assassin and take out one of our outsiders, probably the Goon. That sounds And good. there's reasons for that. And that's just because... You want to give evil some flexibility to try to hide a mastermind day. And the Godfather is, of course, a killing minion who cannot hide a mastermind day. Yep. Um, it's just not something they're capable of because if... If the demon was executed, an outsider wasn't executed, so the Godfather's not getting a kill. Now, technically, the Tinker could die in the day to feed that Godfather kill, but... Every time I've seen that happen to try to set up a mastermind day, it's been blatantly obvious. Yeah, I think that's I think that's not necessarily the best choice. So I just want to give Evil a little bit of flexibility to try to hide the mastermind day by tossing an assassin in play. All right, let's talk about the townsfolk. We have two uh, townsfolk. Uh, we, oh, sorry. Before we quite talk about the townsfolk, let's talk a little bit about the outsiders. Sure. Um, in BMR, you do technically have two choices with the lunatic. Choice A, which is the standard, bogged, standard, normal choice, is to use the lunatic token and put that in the bag, and the person who draws the lunatic token is the demon. The other choice is to try to set up a division of demon types between the lunatic and the demon and put a second demon token in the bag with the intention one of them is the lunatic. We can do that here. We could. I'm going to argue against it, but if you have anything you want to say in favor of it, we can. Some demons lend themselves more to being put in as a second demon uh, 
with the lunatic. Pukka is a demon that doesn't lend itself well to that because the kill patterns don't work very well together. Shabaloth is Shabaloth is similar because again, the lunatic Shabaloth is going to select two, and so if you have a lunatic Shabaloth and then not uh, the the other the, the demon isn't the lunatic the demon isn't the Shabaloth, then it becomes a kind of interesting mismatch on BMR. Lunatic on other scripts, maybe you do it more. On BMR, usually you're going to use the same demon for both because the kill patterns are very distinctive. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, don't let irresponsible storytellers on streams trick you into thinking it's a good idea to, like, say, run a simultaneous Puka Zombul game by putting the Puka in the bag of the Zombul and as a lunatic and. Certainly not showing the Zombul lunatic that they have their own lunatic. Don't let irresponsible storytellers trick you into thinking that's a good idea. And don't watch the TPI January Megastream to get bad ideas about irresponsible storytellers who may have let chat talk them into doing this. Hmm, this seems like a very specific example, Emma. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, I'd have to go back and watch that. <laughs> no need, no need. I was expressly recommending people don't take no, don't, that as an example. Don't. Yeah, I think we want the same demon for both uh, de- actual demon and lunatic here. It's you can you can mix and match, uh, but here on BMR specifically, the demons are very distinct. Generally, you want your lunatic's kill pattern to match your demon's kill pattern. There's some things you can do that's not exactly that, but generally, that's what you want. Which means on BMR, when the four demons have very different kill patterns, probably best to just let them be. Yeah, I think that's I think that's I think that's pretty fair. Let's uh, talk about the Tinker for just a second as well, uh, because we've taken out Godfather. You know, we did mention being able to kill a Tinker during the day to give the Godfather a kill, uh, because we've taken out Godfather and replaced it with Assassin. Tinker's going to be useful to do maybe some other thing. Uh, and we'll talk about that once we get once we get into the townsfolk. Yeah, let's put in a gossip because I think a gossip pairs nicely with a tinker. I agree with that. Because there's tricks you can do on both sides, and your story, and your players can sort of figure out what you've done, but they can never be sure whether you've killed the tinker to simulate that the false gossip was true, or you've killed the tinker with the true gossip to simulate that the tinker died and the true gossip is false. And storytellers should do both. Genuinely, you should try to mix it up and do both of those things so that it's difficult for players to make that distinction. It's really the thing that makes the Tinker uh, an outsider on BMR, right? It can kind of be used. You sometimes see people use it as almost like a confirmation role where they just kill it like right at the beginning of the game. And it's really obvious that the Tinker is the Tinker. But what it does very well is hide the reasons for deaths. And that's the core of BMR is town having to solve hidden reasoning behind death. Yeah, and talking about deaths being confused, let's put in an innkeeper. Mm-hmm. I love that idea, Emma. There's two townsfolk on BMR that can cause other townsfolk to be drunk, the sailor and the innkeeper. They both have interesting decision points for the storyteller. Let's go ahead and use the innkeeper for now. All right, we need five more townsfolk. We wanted to talk about pacifists, and I think it's probably a good thing to put in the bag here. A lot of people think it's a sort of uh, inoffensive, easy-to-run townsfolk. You and I have talked about pacifists on the podcast before, and I think we both agree it is 
is a very interesting role that can be extremely powerful and useful for confirming good players. And it can be very difficult to run. It can be very difficult to run, so I think it's worth us talking about it here. What else on this script requires choices? Grandmother is kind of interesting. Chambermaid. Let's put in a chambermaid, because then we can talk about some of the chambermaid stuff. Yeah, the chambermaid is really, really helpful to talk about on BMR, because it's giving really the only direct information you're going to get. Grandmother also gets direct information, but basically... And the chambermaid is notoriously a very powerful character. It's essentially powerful enough to be the only hard info role on a script. Um, even like it's just handling all basically all information in BMR by itself. It's extremely powerful, and this probably means we want to be a little careful with the bluffs we assign. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe give a bluff that sort of fits each of the evil team's patterns. So for example, we could put an exorcist as a bluff a, because that fits a Shablos pattern. Courtier as a bluff because that fits an assassin's pattern. It wakes up until it stops. And maybe either minstrel or fool as a mastermind bluff. Let me pop out the uh, let me pop out the the bluffs here. And just stick them off to the side. So yeah, I think uh, maybe we maybe we should go into a little more detail there and just kind of explain exactly why these are these are really important with uh with uh chambermaid being in the bag. Yeah, and the sort of reason is if you get that chambermaid hard trusted, you want the evil team to be to say my waking pattern matches my claim. They don't have to; they can choose to do other things, but this gives the evil team an option to say. My waking pattern matches my claim because we've put in one thing that matches each of the claims. Seeing that as a as a demon in my bluff, seeing that I've gotten things that match different types of claims, is usually going to inform me that there's a chambermaid at play as well, right? Um, I might make that expectation if I talk to my two minions, I find out their waking patterns, I look at the I look at the bluffs and see, oh, there's a there's a match for each of us. Might might consider thinking about okay. I should be aware of chambermaid. I should think about what bluff I'm taking. All uh, right. We've got a couple more here. We've got three more to pick. Oh, let's toss in a sailor. I think Always nice fine. to have a classic sailor. Uh, maybe a grandmother. Yeah, let's have a grandmother because I think that's something that's useful for us to kind of discuss. And we've got quite a lot of protection here, so probably we won't put in a tea lady. Professor is a very traditional Shabaloth bluff, which can be positive or negative. You can certainly put a Professor in the bag with a Shabaloth in play. But we've got quite a lot of killing power here. Maybe a Minstrel? It's rare that I think a Minstrel fits in the bag, but it might be useful here. It is tricky with Shabaloth, though. It is tricky with Shabaloth, but we can do a Minstrel. That's fine. All right. That's 12 characters. Shall we hand them out? Yep. All right. So in a normal game, seat 3, who drew the lunatic token, would be our Shabaloth, and seat 12, who drew the Shabaloth token, would be our lunatic. But I'm incredibly lazy, so I am going to do the correct thing as an example after talking myself into it. So we're just going to switch the lunatic and Shabaloth token because that's what you would do in your physical grim. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to put a custom note here next to the lunatic that says Shab, so that I don't forget that that is a Shabaloth lunatic, and that it should wake on the same pattern as the Shabaloth. 
All what right. are some of the decisions we have to make here starting? Uh, BMR doesn't have a ton of first night decisions for us to make. But there are a few. Yeah. So we do need to pick someone to confirm with a grandmother. That's right. But before we can do that, we need to visit the sailor who is going to wake first. Because it's possible that the sailor might pick the grandmother, and then that could begin disrupting information, which is the drawback of the sailor's ability. Wow, it seems like the sailor has picked the grandmother, Milk. What a surprise. It's almost like uh, I knew that was going to happen. It's almost like you said that to force me to say that the sailor had picked the grandmother. Should should So should we drunk the grandmother here, or should we drunk the sailor with the sailor's ability? You almost always want to drunk the grandmother. And why would you do that, Emma? The sailor's ability is each night choose a player, an alive player, Either you or they are drunk until dusk. You can't die. Now, there's this is one of the few like decision point characters we have really solid guidance on. And that solid guidance is, in most situations, if the sailor picks a townsfolk, the townsfolk will be drunk. If they pick a minion or outsider or demon, the sailor will be drunk. And, well, you are absolutely able to break that meta from time to time you normally shouldn't unless you have a very good reason and feeling bad for the grandmother because they're a once per game role is not a super good reason to switch the sailor drunkenness pattern along for one thing it's so very hard to bluff grandmother successfully on BMR and it's so powerful to confirm that you're actually not really changing the grandmother's confirmation rule by picking the sailor. Like, the sailor can now get executed day one. The grandmother will know that their information is wrong because it didn't work out. And they'll just know that the sailor who told them they drank with them is good. And the sailor will know that the grandmother who they drank with is good. So you're not really taking away the grandmother's confirmation by doing this. You're just changing how it works. Yeah, I am generally. Uh, I'm generally in agreement with that, um, and it's important to be aware of the guidance, especially with characters like the sailor, where you have to make these decisions. Now, um, just as an just as an example, one time when we might be okay to drunk an evil player would be if the sailor picks the demon on the first night. Because if the sailor picks the Shabaloth on the first night, the Shabaloth isn't doing anything on the first night. And so it might be okay to drunk the demon here because the demon isn't active. And if the sailor decides to get tested on the first night, it's going to look like that player is a townsfolk or uh, is, is likely a townsfolk, not an outsider or an evil player. Let's put, the, let's put the sailor token back on the grandmother. And now we have to make a choice about who the grandmother is going to be confirming. Now, so we actually have to make two choices. The grandmother has a mechanical grandchild, That's even right. though they're drunk. That's the good player who will cause their death. So we have to pick that, and we have to pick what the grandmother's actually going to see with their drunk ability. So let's pick the player that we're going to put the actual grandmother marker on. Uh, and I think maybe in this case we can put it on... Maybe we can put it on the innkeeper, Emma. Yeah, that seems fine. 
I think that's a character, right? The innkeeper is going to is going to be causing other players not to die, and so the grandmother drawback might be harder to uh, have go off uh, if if that player gets innkeeper protected a whole bunch, even if accidentally. Who should we show to the? What should we show to the grandmother, and who should we show it on? So there's basically two options. We could show an evil player as one of their bluffs. This is similar to what we talked about with washerwoman and librarian who's pinging off, who are either drunk or pinging off a spy. You can always show an evil player as one of their bluffs. The problem with that, especially grand with grandmother, because it's only learning one character and associating it with one player, is let's say our shabloth either misses the hint about chambermaid or acknowledges and says. Yeah, I don't really care. And decides they want to bluff Courtier instead of Exorcist. Mm -hmm. But we thought they would bluff Exorcist because it matched their waking pattern for the chambermaid. So the Shab... So we show the Shab to the grandmother's the Exorcist. The Shab says, nope, I'm the Courtier. Later, the mastermind claims to be the Exorcist. The grandmother goes, well, this seems like this is what happened. And just wants to kill them both. And the sailor probably tells the grandmother, by the way, I drank with you on the first night. Yeah. So there's, like, this poison is super traceable, and the info is so specific. I don't actually like showing a drunk grandmother an evil player. I agree. I would rather show a powerful townsfolk as not their role. Yeah. I might show something like... The minstrel, but tell the ch grandmother that they're the goon. Mm -hmm. I, think that's a, I think that's a really good use of that ability. So we'll show the minstrel as the goon. Uh, and uh, we don't we don't have a marker to show what we've shown, but we could use a custom token and just say, "Yeah, I will uh, put that on." As, video. Yeah, sure, thanks. So that way, you don't have to put your cursor in the video we're That's recording. Right. That's right. That's a really good idea. Very smart. Thanks, Emma. Appreciate the help. Okay, so we've decided what we're doing with our drunk grandmother, and really, there's. Very few things you could do wrong here. You could show the gossip as the chambermaid. You could show to simulate that sort of evil bluff mess up. If your players are meditating that this is how you act, you could start showing the evil bluff mess up on purpose to get the players to think, oh, that's just our storytellers doing good. You want to rotate things up. I think there's lots of reasonable options here, but... Assuming our players don't have a great meta on us, let's just show, show some completely bad information and see what the grandmother does with that. Plus, because we've shown an extra outsider here as the goon, which is an outsider that might try to hide their, you know, their existence, it, it might, might seem even... it might seem like it's a Godfather game, right? It might yeah. trick the town into into believing worlds that don't actually exist. Yeah. So, so there's one other thing we have to do that we technically did before the sailor picked the grandmother, which is we had to pick some minions for our lunatic. Yep, that was what I was going to say. Why don't we get into <laughs> talking about lunatics? So, lunat we, we hear a lot from people that they're not sure how lunatic is supposed to be disruptive on Bad Moon Rising specifically, because, you know, they get shown some minions, then they go talk to them, and the minions say, oh, well, you're not, you're not the demon, you're just the lunatic. Um, but, it's a question of how trustworthy those exchanges are, 
right? I think that's a big question. There's some social interactions that can go on. And the lunatic might just not end up talking to their minions and might be playing against the interests of the good team, might be claiming a might be claiming a role that's in play, might be claiming, you know, to be something that's not believable, might hide the outs their, you know, existence as an outsider for a period of time. They're probably not going to believe that they're the lunatic at the very end of the game. But that's not what's that's not what the lunatic is disrupting. The lunatic is disrupting the first couple of days uh, of of information, the first day or two at least. Uh, I think that's I think that's a pretty fair estimation, right, Emma? Yeah. And one thing you want to decide to, what you want to do. So the first thing you need to decide, of course, with the lunatic is who you're going to tell them is on their evil team. Um, and there's lots of ways people go about doing this. Uh, and one typical meta is to show either one or two evil players to the lunatic in the hopes that these evil players will play along with the lunatic and fool them. Milk, yeah. what do you think about that meta? Well, I think it depends on your group. Some players get wrapped up in, oh, who were the lunatic minions? They're probably evil. And as a storyteller, you can use this in a couple of different ways. Um, in this Grim, right, we could show the assassin who's likely to spend their ability potentially fairly early in the game, and then also show a powerful good player to make it seem like the lunatic has been shown to evils or or one of those players are evil, and maybe give them maybe give the evil team a fifty fifty of getting a uh, of getting a powerful good player killed. Another thing you can do is you can show the lunatic, uh, on this Grim specifically, you could show the lunatic the demon as a minion, and you could show the lunatic the assassin as a minion. And the demon could let the let the assassin know that the lunatic, uh, who the lunatic is. Uh, this is risky, because the demon and assassin might not go for it, and that can put the demon in a lot of jeopardy. So generally, we're probably not going to show the demon. Yeah, let me let me rant a little bit about. I, I thought you might have some things you wanted to say. Let me rant a little bit about trying to encourage the "let's fool the lunatic" play from evil. As the story, like, here's what you're doing with that play. If you let's say we tell the Shabloth, the lunatic, that the Shabloth is their minion, and the Shabloth goes decides to play along and fool the lunatic. Here's what the end game looks like for that Shabloth and that Lunatic if they both make it to final three, which, in the hopes of, you've successfully pulled off the Fool the Lunatic game. So the Lunatic, the Shabloth, and one good player are in final three. The Lunatic might naturally push on their minion, the Shabloth. And then the Shabloth cannot, is either going to add to the final three chaos of outing what's going on, or is going to have to break the illusion at the last minute because they're not going to be okay with being executed as the demon to save their lunatic's butt. Because that doesn't help the Shabloth win the game. Like, what you're doing there is you're not only asking evil to out evil to a good player, which is a risky proposition. And scary. You're asking... And scary for an evil player. In Scary for Evil, you're asking evil to commit to a bluff that requires them to appear willing to die on a good player's behalf, which is very bad for the evil team. 
Like, I've seen a bunch of storytellers who have tried to improve the lunatic by house ruling that the evil team learns who's selected as lunatic minions, and then they can just go off and um, pretend to be lunatic minions and fool the lunatic. And there's some storytellers I really respect who have done this. And here's something that I've never seen, though. This work out in the evil team's advantage. Yeah, it never does seem to, does it? <laughs> I've seen situations where the lunatic gets suspicious anyway and starts targeting their minions in the night. And since the minions have committed to this, have been forced to commit to this sell the lunatic bluff, the storyteller, like I saw a little monster game once where like the storyteller was like, well, I'm going to have to kill the poisoner here because the lunatic imp thinks they've just tried to kill their poisoner to test whether they're the lunatic. That didn't help the evil team. The evil team didn't want their poisoner to die there. What a surprise. <laughs> I've seen games where, like, a demon flubs, like, a bluff to a lunatic um, because they've been told they were the lunatics, that the lunatics saw them as a minion, so the demon will go and tell something the lunatic, the lunatic something that the lunatic knows is mechanically impossible. The demon's just out of there. Like, you need to be very careful about situations where you are asking evil team to do stuff that is not really in their advantage just because you want the lunatic to work better as an outsider or whatever. If the lunatic's not working well enough as the outsider, oh well, it's still a character who doesn't really have a useful ability for town and a character who is going to lie a bunch, especially in the early game, and a character who can make a good evil bluff if your group's meta becomes trust the lunatic because who would bluff lunatic? All right, I think we've I think we've handled this more or less enough. <laughs> well, we do have to pick minions, and like like Milk said, some of it has to do with your group's meta. Meta. If your group is always killing lunatic minions, you want to break them of that meta by showing them two good players. If your group is always trusting lunatic minions because they know you're showing two good players, start slipping evils back in there. Like, the goal of the lunatic minions isn't to fool the lunatic long-term. It's just to create some confusion. So I've marked the chambermaid and the assassin as the lunatic minion. We'll take a middle path here uh, as a demonstration where we're going to show a powerful townsfolk, and we'll also show a minion and give the minion the option. The minion can always just take a bluff, right? They're right next to the demon. The demon can whisper a bluff to them real quick. They can always just take a bluff and go, nah, sorry, man, you're just a lunatic. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question that comes up with the lunatic is also the demon deciding whether or not to follow the lunatic's kills, right? The, yeah. The, the demon may just not choose to follow the lunatic's kills because they're suboptimal. And then you have a whole nother little mini game of did the demon not follow the kills because they don't care what the lunatic picked? Or did the demon not follow the kills because the lunatic picked evil players? Yeah, and you want to, of course, mix that up as a demon. And we can talk about that more next time we do demon with a lunar, a killing demon with a lunatic. Uh, but yeah, like demons can, like you, much like with how a storyteller doesn't want their lunatic minion choices to be metaable, a demon doesn't want their following the demon lunatic's kills or not choices to be metaable. So, like especially with a multi kill demon with a shabloth, I might follow one, not follow the other, see what happens. Like. That way it's less weird when the lunatic inevitably picks me, as lunatics are wont to do, that I don't follow their kill. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much I think that's pretty much right. Um, you just have to mix it up. Don't do the same thing every time. 
Right. So that's basically all our setup. The chambermaid's going to pick someone. It doesn't really matter who for our purposes here, or two people. Uh, and they're going to learn accurate information because they're sober and healthy. Mm-hmm. Let's say they picked the tinker and the lunatic, and they'll learn a one there. That's a neat little lunatic feature. Since the lunatic is waking up to their ability, the lunatic's ability, and not to demon info, the chambermaid does learn a one on the lunatic night one. Which is a good way to differentiate whether you've seen a lunatic or the deep. Yeah. Okay, so the chambermaid's gotten their information. Everybody else has made their picks that gets to make a pick. Um, what do we need to deal with on the first day? Emma, is there anything that kind of we have to start thinking through as we get into that first day? Uh, well, you know, there's a few things we're going to need to pay attention to. We're going to have to, of course, listen to gossips and track those carefully. And we're going to have to decide whether we're going to let the pacifist save people. And how. Ideally, we'd like to let the pacifist save a player at some point in the game. Yeah. And generally, you want to do this earlier rather than later. Yeah. Especially in a game where the evil team has a lot of killing power, you may just not get a chance later. Right? If the Shabaloth and the Assassin both, uh, both hit all of their kills... The gossip gets a kill. We're going to lose four players real fast. And so it's entirely possible that the pacifist just isn't going to get much of a chance to do a whole lot. Uh, the innkeeper might drunk them. The sailor might drunk them. So we, we do want to give, you know, we do want to give this ability a chance to work. So generally, we're going to go earlier than later. Yeah. So like my general rule of thumb is that the first townsfolk the pacifist can save, the pacifist will save. Yeah, I think that's right. That's It's a general rule of thumb. It's not 100%. No one, please write in like the unofficial Discord. I heard on Grim Scenarios that the pacifist always saves the first good player executed. That's not what I said about the pacifist. I said it's a good general rule of thumb that the first townsfolk who gets executed that the pacifist can save, the pacifist should save. There's a lot of reasons why this might not happen anyway. For example... The execution might hit a player who can't die. Yeah, right. The sailor in particular is highly likely to want to get themselves tested today to see what's up with the grandmother because they're probably going to feel bad about drunking the grandmother. And like we were talking when we when we were talking about that drunkenness, the sailor surviving execution gives the grandmother some of that confirmatory power back. That's right. In addition, we have roles on the script which we didn't put in play, like the tea lady and devil's advocate that could cause good players just not to die on the first day. The Devil's Advocate might pick a good player who just doesn't die. The Tea Lady might just protect someone, you know, randomly. Uh, the Fool, of course, also can do this, but as generally less likely to try to get tested. Yeah, and as we did back in our pacifist episode, which, let me see if I can quickly figure out what number that was. Oh, I, I, can, I can get that for you, Emma, while you continue talking. Because uh, I certainly... Well, no, I want to, I want to uh, say... Uh, <laughs> there, there's thoughts in my head here, Vilk. There's, oh, there's okay. important thoughts in my head about sure. what I'm I'll, trying to say here. I'll let, I'll let you do it. As we were talking about back in episode... 20, 22. It's episode 22. 22, which is entitled something. Peace and Love. Peace and Love. Episode 22, Peace and Love. We talked about the pacifists sort of playing their role more actively... Uh, which is something else you can pay the storyteller to, you as a storyteller can pay attention to. If the pacifist is really trying to play their role actively and pick who they're going to save, 
you can maybe hold off on their execution on their nomination for a day on their save for a day and see if they get a get the person they want to save executed the next day um but like i said as and sometimes maybe like if everyone in town thinks it's a da game and everyone in town thinks the gossip is likely the demon probably don't pacifist save the gossip even if the pacifist has had a chance hasn't had a chance to save someone yet because at that point, you're using the pacifist to simulate the DA gossip demon world that good is misleaded incorrectly on, and you're just going to cause the good team to spend another day executing the gossip tomorrow, and then that's going to be awkward. You're just you're just sort of wasting the good team's time at that point. And especially with Zambul, you need to be careful about this, because uh, the Zambul gets kills when people aren't executed during the day or people are executed and don't die during the day. And so it's very easy to use the pacifist to save something that's not particularly helpful to town, even like an outsider or something like that, uh, where uh, where it's just benefiting the evil team because it's getting the Zambula kill. So, like I said, like, obviously if they execute the sailor today, the pacifist's not going to do anything. If they execute the chambermaid, the grandmother, the innkeeper, the minstrel, or the pacifist itself, I'm probably going to let the, or the gossip, I'm probably going to let the pacifist get that save off today. That seems fair to me. I think that's a but, very reasonable thing to do. You know, maybe something goes wrong during the day. You have to pay careful attention to what's going on. Maybe the pacifist is making it super clear that they want to spend their ability on the minstrel. They want to trust the minstrel. Mm-hmm. And maybe then... Don't save someone else so that you don't just keep saving people with the pacifist repeatedly. Because if you keep saving people with the pacifist repeatedly, it's not going to be fun for the evil team. Yeah, You need to get that one save. One to two saves. Maybe a, maybe another one if if the situation warrants it. Uh, if evil's kind of running away with things. But uh, again, you know, you get in those situations, like I mentioned earlier, where you could just have four kills on the first day. And then, you know, they're all they're all good players that have died. And then suddenly on day two, you're you're in a situation where you have very few good players left, and you might you might just give the pacifist a second save. So then something else we should talk about is maybe our gossip, gossips that either seat three, seat six, or seat ten is the demon. Seat so, three, seat six, or seat ten. That's a true gossip, Emma. That's a true gossip. So we're gonna mark that before we go to our first night. Let's say the sailor gets executed as we suspected they might try to do when they learn what they did to the grandmother. And does not die. And does not die. And that's our day one. So that night, a few things are going to happen. The sailor's going to pick someone. Milk, who do you think the sailor should pick tonight? Hmm. Um, why don't we have the sailor pick... Why don't we have the sailor pick seat nine? Oh, I was thinking of having the sailor pick seat six, but seat nine's also fine. Uh, so we could have the sailor pick seat six. Um, that would benefit the evil team, of course. Uh, picking seat nine means that the sailor might get killed tomorrow. But since they just tested the sailor, it's less likely that the sailor is going to get tested tomorrow again. They're not just going to keep killing the sailor every day. Well, Milk, if the sailor is going to pick seat nine, the innkeeper is going to pick seat six. I think that's right. Because we are going to talk about drunk chambermaid information tonight. Yep. 
I agree. And we'll protect that pacifist too with our innkeeper because we feel bad for the pacifist didn't get to save someone. Didn't get to save somebody on the first day. And we're not going to drunk the pacifist because their ability hasn't activated yet. And we would like them to get a chance to have their ability yeah. go off. And we want to talk about drunk chambermaid Of course, that's also a thing. We're generally going to drunk the role that's going to provide better information, right? Chambermaid gets great information. Yeah. The storyteller's generally going to drunk that. If the innkeeper protects the chambermaid, the chambermaid's probably going to be drunk 100 out of 100 times. Maybe there's like that weird edge case where the chambermaid doesn't get drunk, but most of the time, chambermaid gets drunk. Who's our Shabaloth picking, Emma? Well, who's our oh, lunatic sorry. Shabaloth who's picking? Who's our lunatic Shabaloth picking first? Uh, let's say our lunatic Shabaloth picks that sailor. That sounds good. Because they weren't one of their minions, and they survived execution, so that's scary. And let's say they pick that mastermind, too. Maybe that would yeah. be fun for the Shabaloth to decide what to do. That sounds good. So let's get over to the Shabaloth, and the Shabaloth gets told seat 5 and seat 9 were selected by the lunatic. Shabby's got to make some decisions here. Yeah, and maybe Shabby says, no, thank you. Maybe Shabby says, you know, Lunatic picked my minion and the sailor. I don't like that. Maybe I do, don't do that. Maybe the Shabby says, hmm, Lunatic picked my minion and the mastermind. And the mastermind. Maybe I'll follow that and trust the storytellers to resurrect the mastermind the next day. Yeah, and we probably would in that case, right? Uh, we want to signal to the good team that uh, that there is a Shabaloth in the game at some point by using the resurrection, uh, the regurgitation, rather. And so we probably would bring back a mastermind if the Shabaloth said, yeah, I'm going to follow the lunatic kills and I'm going to kill that mastermind. Yeah, so let's just have the Shabaloth think about this and follow its lunatic kills. It's risky. You're losing your safety of net of mastermind for one night, but you're probably killing a, you might be killing a sailor. Who knows what's going on? And it's going to be real weird when the sailor who drank with the mastermind and the mastermind both wake up dead. That's right. It's going to seem pretty strange. What uh? What about the what about seat four, Emma? Uh, I think seat four is going to hold on to their ability for a night. There's a shab. They're not in a rush. They're not in any rush to use that ability, so they're going to sit on. And we set our old friend the gossip gossip seat three, seat six. Or seat, seat ten. 10 was the demon. All right. We have to kill someone. We do have to kill someone. So We're not going to sink it into an innkeeper protection. We're not going to sink it into a protection role. That's not... We're not doing that. That's not, that's not how gossip works. Yeah, so we can't kill the pacifist. It can't kill the chambermaid. That's right. It's also not going to kill the minstrel here. No. And here's why. And this is just some very important things. If your gossip gossip that three people are the demon and is going to get an extra kill off from it, probably don't kill one of the people the gossip gossiped because that leaves you with the gossip having gotten its information and you've narrowed the demon candidate base even as narrow as they went from three down to two. That's right. So let's just say, so C10 is going to be not for killing. We could kill C8, uh, but that's a powerful role that hasn't had a chance to activate yet, and we're trying to avoid killing off powerful roles that have not had a chance to activate yet. Yeah, so I'm just going to mark everyone we are definitely not killing with the gossip 
Because once you've marked all those people down, so we're not killing the chambermaid or the pacifist because right. they're protected and they're we protected. can't. We're not killing an evil player. Yep, so we're not killing the assassin or the Shabaloth. We're not uh, killing the We're not the killing the mastermind <laughs> or the sailor because they're dead. Yep. We're not going to kill the innkeeper because their ability hasn't activated yet. And they're well, drunk. And they're drunking they're drunking the chambermaid. Yeah, they are drunking the chambermaid. We want to get drunk chambermaid information. We're not gonna do that. So what are our choices? Our choices are basically the grandmother, the tinker, the lunatic, or the gossip themselves. That's our four choices. So let's talk through the pluses and minuses of each of them, Milk. Sure. So let's start with the let's start with the grandmother. Alright? So we showed the grandmother the minstrel as their grandchild. Mm -hmm. So the grandmother dying here means that they weren't attached to any of the other deaths. The grandmother has gotten their information, and dying in the night is okay, right? Um, it would just mean that they were they were targeted by the demon or by some other killing ability. And this is such a powerful gossip, though. I don't want to do that. I don't want to just confirm the grandmother died to yeah. either a gossip or an assassin here. The grandmother's essentially spent and so the gossip killing the grandmother almost just flags that it's a gossip kill. Yeah. So we're not going to do that. So we'll, let's add the grandmother to our not-for-killing list. Yeah, we're not going to kill the grandmother. How about the gossip themselves? Why wouldn't we kill the gossip themselves with this ability? Oh, we're also going to mark the innkeeper because we're excited about giving drunk chambermaid. That's right. We're just not doing that. Uh, well, like, it, it's sort of rude on the first gossip, successful gossip, to kill the gossip. And the second successful gossip... At that point, the gossip is playing with fire and might get burned. But the first successful gossip, that's probably too early for me most of the time. So I'm going to mark the gossip. It's not for killing. I think that's just too too quick. The lunatic and the tinker. We've successfully looked around our grim and decided we really don't feel like we can kill anyone else with this gossip except for lunatic or tinker. That seems right. And I'm going to argue for killing that tinker. Yeah, the, the the lunatic the 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 lunatic actually got the demon following their kills here, right? So even if they don't necessarily believe that they're the lunatic, them being alive and having picked two people who died is gonna is gonna probably cause them to continue to disrupt the game in some way. The the benefits of killing the tinker here is where is the good team is technically getting their good powerful gossip information. But since that gossip information is so powerful, we are using an outsider, the Tinker, to combine with the gossip to create that doubt that outsiders should be putting in the game. Was that a Tinker death and the gossip was false? Was that a gossip death and we just are messing with the Tinker? That's the sort of thing outsiders do. They create confusion. You don't have to use kill the Tinker to the Tinker's ability to create confusion. And this isn't just a lesson for storytellers, this is also a lesson for demons. Killing the Tinker is okay. If you know where there's a Tinker, you can use that kill on the Tinker to try to simulate that you haven't made a kill. For example, a Poe that has three kills might include the Tinker in one of those three kills. A Shabaloth with two kills might include the Tinker in one of those two kills to hide which demon is in play for at least a little bit longer. I'm going to get rid of these not-for-killing tokens that show their demonstrative purpose and they're cluttering up the Grim. I will mention one other thing uh, with with regard to the gossip dead reminder token specifically. It's a mistake that I often make, which is that because the gossip's dead reminder token is blue and not red, it's sometimes easy to miss it with all the other stuff that's on your grim. So always make sure to double check 
who is dying in the night and who is not when you're running Bad Moon Rising. Yeah, and I like to put the Gossip Dead token down next to the Gossip when I hear them make the true Gossip. And then when I get to the Gossip's turn on the Night Order, I like to decide where I'm going to move it to. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the most efficient way to do it. The Gambler token has I have the same problem with the Gambler token personally, uh, because again, it's a blue token. I don't necessarily attach it to killing. So just make sure again that you kind of do your do your best practices you know if you have a physical grim right make sure you're kind of giving it another look over right in the digital tool in the app right make sure you're giving it a look over in the app you know you've probably you know uh, sort of done the like uh, nighttime shroud effect uh in the uh in the application but it's still worth it's still worth being aware of yeah so the last decision point we have to talk about is our chambermaid is going to pick two people and we're going to give them drunk information let's uh... uh let's do something tricky Let's let's have the chambermaid pick our shab bluff. Let's say did take that exorcist bluff. I agree. Alongside that minstrel over there. I was thinking that too, Emma. Because the minstrel's been shown to the grandmother as the goon. And so mm-hmm. we're always going to have a little bit of uncertainty of whether that's a minstrel, which is what they're claiming, or whether that's a goon, which is what the grandmother saw. And when we have the chambermaid pick the minstrel, when the chambermaid's picking the minstrel and the shabaloth, there's reason why the information could be incorrect. Yeah. So, we have three numbers we can show this chambermaid, this drunk chambermaid who's picked a shabaloth and a minstrel. We could show a true one, a false zero, or a false two. Now, I know what my answer is, but I want to know your answer's milk so I can see if we disagree. Well... There's a couple of things to think about, right? If you just want to support the Shabaloth's bluff and not worry too much about what the minstrel is uh, is is doing or whether it's a goon or not, you could you could give a one and just say, well, the Shabaloth bluff is protected and the minstrel's not, you know, the minstrel's just not giving bad information. But that makes the minstrel look good, and we've got a drunk chambermaid who we're trying to disrupt. You could mm-hmm. show a zero, but that puts the Shabaloth in danger because again. Their bluff is now not confirmed by the chambermaid. So I would show it too. Yeah, that's what I would do too. And I was didn't expect you disagree you would disagree with that, but you know, we can always hope that I would get to criticize your choices. We we disagree sometimes, but that one's pretty straightforward. You're gonna protect the Shabaloth and also give this information. Yeah, I'm gonna give the two here. Like that looks like the chambermaid may be drunk from the innkeeper and may be drunk from picking Mr. Goon Minstrel over there. But we haven't, what we haven't done is we haven't taken our Shabloth bluffing exorcist and tossed them under the bluffs by showing a chambermaid a zero That's when right. they're bluffing a roll that wakes. If you do that, there's a risk that maybe the innkeeper and chambermaid don't get to talk. They don't know their chambermaid's drunk. That the poor Shabloth is sitting there getting executed tomorrow after they killed their mastermind in the plan to be resurrect them because their bluff isn't matching their chambermaid number. So therefore, they're evil. Let's just imagine a slightly different scenario where the Shabaloth took, uh, where the Shabaloth took the fool bluff for some reason, mm-hmm. and the chambermaid now selects the minstrel and the Shabaloth. Uh, in the same situation, what what do we show in that situation? In that situation, I'd probably show a zero. And it's for but the I same reason. I might consider right? a one. Might show I, a one. I would be more inclined to show a one there. If I thought it was likely the chambermaid and the innkeeper were going to hook up, 
or if the grandmother and chambermaid had talked about how the grandmother saw the minstrel's lagoon, I would show a zero or one. In that case, I would never show a two, because if we want to put misinformation pressure there, we want it on the minstrel goon thing we've set up, not the Shabloth fool. That's exactly right. So we wouldn't show, we would not do that. So that's that's just kind of some different perspectives. All right. We're going to quickly clear this grimoire. We're mostly done with everything we wanted to talk about on storytelling BMR. But I thought it would be fun to just cover some quick trivia on Puka interactions. Oh, boy. All right, Milk. Here we go. Some quick Puka trivia. Let's see if I can do it. Uh, Seat 12 has been poisoned by the Puka. Seat 12. It doesn't matter what Seat 12 is. Uh, The previous night. Seat 7, our exorcist, has picked Seat 3, the Puka. Mm -hmm. Does Seat 12 die tonight, Milk? So uh, the answer is yes, Seat 12 dies tonight. And why is that? Because the Puka doesn't have to wait for the poisoned target to be uh, to, to die in the night. Exorcist is not a poison is not a poisoning effect. It's not disabling the Pucka's ability. It's just having the Pucka not wake up, which means that the Pucka will not wake tonight to pick another player. But the currently poisoned player will still become uh, will still die and become unpoisoned. So that player dies. Correct, Amundo. Okay. Seat seven is now the goon. Seat 10 is the minstrel. Last night, our Pukka friend picked seat 10, the minstrel. Tonight, they picked six, seat 3, the goon, and changed their alignment to evil. Trivia question part 1, Milk. Does the minstrel die? So, trivia question part 1. Does the minstrel die? No, the minstrel does not die. Tonight... And is the minstrel still poisoned? Part two. No, the minstrel is not still poisoned, but they still have the poisoned reminder token on them. Interesting. I believe right. that's correct. I think that's yeah. right. Well, you, would, you could do something like flip the poison token upside down. Like, so that's a function of the app. That's something that developed sort of organically from the community. Uh, I think it's something that came up in person of tokens you wanted to leave on the grim but were drunk or poisoned flipping upside down that we bullied the developers to giving us the app functionality for. Yep. That's the now the intended purpose of the ability to rotate the tokens. So we can rotate our puka tokens. Alright. Fun, fun, fun. The next night, seat 12. Our innkeeper protects seat 10 and seat 1. And the puka picks the player in seat one. All right. So now the puck is sober because they, the goon, so milk. Who dies most now? Does the goon, who the puck chose last die? Does the minstrel, who was the last player of the puck successfully poisoned die? Who dies? Right. So the goon's not going to die because they were, because the puck's uh, choosing effect, uh, the puck's choice of the goon was uh, drunk. So the goon is not dying. The minstrel is the previously poisoned player, which means uh, since the pukka is not drunk, that poisoning token get, get flipped back over. However, the minstrel is currently safe uh, from the innkeeper's ability, which means that the minstrel cannot die. So that means that the minstrel does not die and becomes unpoisoned. They should yes. die tonight, but 
they don't die and become unpoisoned. Yeah. What happens is the minstrel tries to die, but fails because of the innkeeper, and then becomes healthy for the rest of the puka's ability. Okay. How about seek one? This is the tricky part, because innkeeper is different than another character that interacts with demons in the night, which is the monk. The innkeeper protects players from death, which means that when the pucka picks the player in seat one, the player in seat one becomes poison. Okay. Now, now things get fun. The next night, our frustrated pucka, who hasn't killed anyone in days, says, I'm gonna pick seat seven again. What happens? Does anyone die this night? So now the Pukka's ability is disabled by the drunkenness, and unfortunately, once again, nobody dies. <laughs> All right. Maybe tomorrow night. <laughs> the next day. <laughs> this is great. The innkeeper. That night, let's 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 give the Puck Evil Team a bit of a break here. Our assassin over in seat five will assassinate our innkeeper. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, the same night where the Puck picked the goon again. Okay. okay. The next night, our Puck poisons seat nine. Does seat one die? Oh no, poor Pucka. Poor Pucka. <laughs> so the Puck is no longer drunk from the goon, so we can get rid of that. And the player in seat nine is poisoned, and now. The player in seat one becomes unpoisoned and, or, or sorry, the, the poison effect now goes back into play. So now this player should die and become unpoisoned. Unfortunately, they're sitting next to a tea lady who is next to two good players, which means that they cannot die. And this is even worse because the fool doesn't lose a life because the fool's ability says the first time you die, you don't. And the fool doesn't die because they cannot die, which means we now get rid of this poison token off of the fool. The fool doesn't die, and the poison token is clear. The fool tries to die, but they don't. All right. Well, the next night, our frustrated Pukka picks the goon again. And the day after, they execute the assassin. Everyone is drunk, and I think as we know, when everyone's drunk, no one can die, including season nine. That's right. Our Pukka friend picks seat two, so we'll put another upside down poison token there. Yep. And we can get rid of the drunk. The night after here. that, uh, the Pukka picks, let's say, seat 11. Everyone's drunk goes away. Nope, we're out of, uh, we're out of, we're out of Pukka tokens. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Milk. Who oh, dies tonight? Let's the Pukka see. has finally going to get a kill. Is it seat nine or is it seat two? Uh, the previous... Ooh, this is an interesting one. This one's actually one I haven't encountered uh, in real life. Let's think through it. So the player in seat nine was a previously poisoned player on a night when the Pukka was drunk. So the Pukka effect didn't happen, which means they didn't get unpoisoned and they didn't die. So... Now they are still the previously selected, a, a previously selected player. Seat two is also picked. Player in seat two is also a previously selected player, and the pucka is no longer drunk, so we should flip this token back over upright. The tea lady isn't protecting anybody because they're they're poisoned currently, so we can 
flip over these two tea lady tokens, not that they matter for this specific interaction. And I genuinely would have to look up what happens here, but it seems like both player in seat two and the player in seat nine should die based on the way this is set up. However, no. that doesn't Only the quite player work. in seat nine dies because yeah. seat two was never poisoned. The book's ability is not the previously picked player, it's the previously poisoned player. So seat nine, who was picked several nights ago at this point, I think three nights ago at this point, yep. was actually poisoned. Then the Puka had a sequence of horrible events. Then, and one of those was that the seat three tried the Puka tried to pick seat two but failed because right. of the minstrel night. So there was no poisoning that went down. So it's been like three nights since seat nine was poisoned. Now seat nine can finally die. And this is something where you, as a storyteller, might get confused because you're looking at a Pukka interaction with a goon, and the Pukka interaction with the goon is choose, whereas the Pukka interaction with killing players is they have to choose them and they have to become poisoned, right? So it's a tricky interaction that can fool you. I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of Pukka Trivia and this week's episode of Grim Scenarios. Milk, let's go to the tavern and send them away. Thanks for joining us this week, everybody. We hope you like these storytelling-focused uh, episodes. We're going to do at least one more of these. We'd like to take a look at a custom because there's a few experimental characters that we think probably probably you could use a little look at. Until then. For the first time, or second time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> on, on an episode produced solely for our exclusive youtube channel not the first time the second time may your scenarios stay grim <laughs> <laughs>